everybody and welcome to our uh, tele-webinar. This is the first time we've moved across from their traditional old-fashioned <laughs> telephone conferences into a, I'll call it a, a tele-webinar for the first one, but I think we'll just accept the fact it's a webinar from here on. What I'd like to do is to, uh, is to welcome you here today. Thank you for coming in. You may be listening to this live or recorded. The information is totally relevant, whichever and whenever you listen to it. But what I'd like to do is just uh, introduce today's, uh, today's webinar topic. Um, I'm thrilled to have managed to have twisted the arm and secured some time of John O'Brien from Paul Works. I'll introduce John in a little more detail in a moment. Um, John, um, his topic for today is how does it proceed in franchising in these tougher times? And we'll be exploring with him uh, some of his gems of knowledge he's accumulated over two or three decades um, as a franchisor, what works, what doesn't, where and why there are opportunities. So. We're going to have basically an interview. We'll cover a little bit of information. We'll spread across a range of things. If you've got any questions, um, by all means, enter them in the chat box at the bottom of your your dashboard there, and we'll see if time prevails whether we can um, whether we can answer them. Otherwise, we'll respond to them later. I might say I've had a few questions from people that I've basically included in today's uh, conversation. So as I run through with the questions that I've got with John, we'll address some of those. John, welcome. Good morning. How are you? I had a pleasure back on talking to you today, right? Yeah. Oh, uh, hello there. Sorry, I'll just do that one again. Um, good morning, John. How are you? Oh, good morning, Brian. Can you hear me okay? Absolutely. Thank you. We had a little bit of a time glitch there. Um, oh, very, very good. <laughs> I'd just like to mention that... Uh, John, if you're not familiar with his background, is someone I do make reference to from time to time because I admire and respect him significantly. I've known John for well over 20 years, I think. He uh, has got a, a very uh, significant uh, past career and present career, not just as the founder and CEO of Paul Works, which has got quite an extraordinary growth story, which he'll share with us. I won't take his thunder. But also, um, in case of his modesty introduced, uh, interferes, I'll just mention that... Uh, He's the past chairman of the, uh, the Franchise Council of Australia and also of the Asia-Pacific and World Franchise Council. So he travels internationally, um, preaching the Bible, I suppose, from his point of view, because he's one of the most passionate people with regards to his, his uh, I suppose, his, his, his love of franchising. And that's been evidenced by the success and growth of Paul Works. Along the way, literally every year, there are prize winners in the annual competitions with the Franchise Council from pool works, whether they may be um, regional or local, whether they're, they're pool, they're pool they're local vans or whether they're, they're area hubs. There are numerous prize winners and John's won numerous awards himself, as well as last year being elected to the uh, Franchise Hall of Fame, which is limited to just a handful of people. So with all that, what I'd like to do is introduce John. John, would you like to just say hello and give us a little bit of a, a thumbnail to add perhaps to that, uh, that, that summary I gave of your background? Thanks, Brian. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back talking to, to your group. Um, look, it's an interesting topic that uh, you've, you've got for us today, um, succeeding in tougher times. We... I think uh, the Pullworks Group have certainly uh, shown that we have a growth culture. Um, many of you would be aware that um, BRW magazine uh, in February of every year for the last 10 years has had a fast-growing uh, franchise list. 
Um, we're fortunate enough to have been in that list for nine of the last ten years. We, we actually dropped out last year for the first time, but uh, on current run rate this year, we'll be back in there pretty quickly next year. So uh, I think we've shown that we've managed to be one of the standout groups in Australia as far as main, not only growing fast lately, but maintaining a growth culture. Um, and, you know, we've got, uh, we're in every state and territory of Australia and now New Zealand. Uh, we have uh, uh, close to 350 service vans and 75 stores. Uh, we employ close to 1,000 people in our group and uh, we're the biggest pool service company in the world and uh, uh, the biggest pool retailer in Australia. So uh, we're certainly, I think, uh, I can talk about growth today. Absolutely. Look, I, I, I love your story. I, I knew you well before your uh, days with the swimming pool in the swimming pool industry when you were with Crystal Soft Drinks and, and others. Um, and what, could you just share with me briefly what, what your criteria was and why you chose the swimming pool industry as one to uh, get into franchising? So I think it's a very interesting story for people who are either at the beginning of the journey or anticipating starting a franchise of their own. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Um, it uh, it has been um, uh, just on 30 years last year since I first got involved in franchising uh, with Cadbury Schweppes. Um, I've been a uh, corporate franchisor. Um, I've created five different franchise brands myself. Um, having been a franchisee, a master franchisee and a franchisor. So interesting perspective on all parts of franchising. What was interesting uh, back in 1995 was um, I had uh, been involved in importing and exporting franchise brands, but uh, when I was looking for my next brand, um, I kind of did it upside down. I was an experienced franchisor, which, you know, put it in other words, um, I knew about how to create a brand and how to create systems and how to find people to follow those systems and join in the vision with the brand. And I went looking for my next uh, venture. I travelled the world for six months um, and I had a number of key criteria. It needed to be a retail business with a mobile service platform because I saw the growth in service franchising and service industries. Uh, it needed to be in an established large industry because I didn't want to create a category, uh, but it needed to be in a, in a category that franchising hadn't uh, really entered or dominated yet. In other words, I was looking for an unorganised industry and that's what franchising does. It organises un unorganised industries very, very well, better than any other platform uh, that's ever been invented. Um, I was looking for um, a global opportunity because uh, Australians do franchising extremely well and I was looking for the opportunity to not only grow across Australia and New Zealand but have a brand that I could take to the world. So uh, that was some of the criteria, Brian, that uh, I was looking for and I came across um, uh, full servicing in California being done extremely badly and uh, did some homework and found out it was a very mature industry and there were no market leaders and it ticked all my boxes. So I, I came back and bought a little business with six vans and you know, we've grown it to 350 vans and 75 stores today. Brilliant. Well, what I'd like to do then is lead with the, with, with the topic, I guess, basically, from the point of view of 
looking at current times, um, I mean, GFC is a bit old hat to even refer to it now, but I think we're still well in it in many respects, and uh, the future holds a few question marks for a lot of people, but what, what has been the impact of the slowing down of the economy, uh, GFC and other, other factors, uh, you know, accepted? I remember, Brian, um, back in uh, 1998, uh, sorry, 2008, um, I was, uh, we were exhibiting in Washington at the Washington Franchise Show. We'd just come across from exhibiting at the Paris Franchise Show, um, the two biggest franchise shows in the world. Uh, we had 150 leads in our kit bag from, uh, from Paris, uh, and we had uh, 78 leads uh, at the Washington Show. We actually had a uh, 250,000 US check uh, back in the days of checks for the master franchise for Florida. Um, but this was in about uh, June or July of 2008, and uh, you could really see the storm clouds gathering in the GFC at that time. And we probably made one of the hardest but best decisions in hindsight. We, we gave the check back, uh, we thanked all the leads, and we went home to concentrate on our Australian business. And uh, that, that turned out to be one of the better decisions. That there was actually a French, New Zealand franchise or at that same Washington show, um, room for review, I think. I took photos from vans for real estates. And uh, he sold 17 franchises in, in the US. And uh, the cost of trying to support them during the early stages of the GFC uh, pretty much broke his company there and here. Um, but you know, we went to our convention in uh, 2008. I suppose you know, a, a lot of what we do in franchising is about leadership um, and leadership from the top. Uh, that's one of the, the tough things about franchising. The, uh, the CEO, or in most cases CEO founder, uh, with a lot of your um, growing franchisors, uh, takes a lot of emotional capital. Uh, I'm a big believer in that term that a fish rots from the head. So, so there would be a healthy head in the franchise. Colourful. <laughs> and, um, yeah. oh, look, you know, occasionally the fish starts rotting from the head and uh, you've got to reinvent yourself. And uh, So we went to our 2008 and um, you know, we, we pretty much um, alerted all of our franchise partners to, uh, to what was happening in um, uh, global terms and what the impact would be here. Uh, we had speakers along that vein. We talked about uh, it being the perfect storm and uh, how we were going to batten down the hatches and how we were going to come out the other side. And I think our franchise partners, uh, as we call them in our group, franchise partners, really appreciated uh, the leadership and the foresight so that you know when the, the doom and gloom did strike, it's like, yeah, we know that. We expected that. Uh, we've got strategies in place already to uh, to ride us through the initial onslaught, and what's more, we we kind of have a pretty good view of what's going to happen on the other side. Excellent. Well, that's perhaps uh, it was fortunate you spent that money going overseas because you may not have appreciated the impact because we were relatively isolated from it here in the in the early stages, weren't we? So um, that's a comment, so not a question. Um, what I'll say then: How have you managed to keep in that BRW list? Um, most of the years uh, since 19, since 2008, um, with all those challenges you face, you bat, face, you, you batten down the hatches. What do you put your continued growth and success down to, then, John? Um, 
I, I suppose above, well, well, first of all, you know, we we don't buy into the gloom. Um, you know, we we write our own our own press and our own growth culture in full works. There's, you know, when you when you look at it, if you're a, a franchisor, um, you, you can't afford but to be glass half full. Uh, if you're a glass half empty person by nature, then either reinvent yourself, lickety split, or get out of the game. Uh, your franchise partners are always looking at you for not only leadership for, but for positivity and positive energy. And so, yeah, look at the economy. And uh, there's so many great factors that have been in our Australian economy for a long time. I mean, we know that unemployment has stayed very low. Uh, we know that we've got very cashed-up consumers that um, have have gone from you know, having one of the highest debt uh, family debt levels in the world to having one of the lowest family debt levels in the world. Um, we have very low commercial interest rates, very low mortgage interest rates. Uh, because of the cost of uh, the Australian dollar, um, our, our imports uh, are very low and therefore our cost of goods are very low. Um, so really negativity is only in the consumer's mind because the press has created it. Mm. So uh, our, our role as franchisors is to try and help our franchisees, franchise partners and their staff and in fact our clients um, uh, buy into our growth culture. Uh, so for us, it's all about creating a growth culture in our group, a winning culture, and we believe that flows all the way through to our, through our marketing and to our end clients. Um, we look at our values. So if you talk about growing a growth culture, that's easily said, a winning culture. But when we look at our values, um, we have five core values in our business, and one of those is dare to succeed. Um, it, it's a real franchise-friendly value. Uh, in other words, you know, we're all entrepreneurs, big or small, in franchising. And uh, you know, if, if we're in this, we're in it because we're glass half full people. So we're always going to dare to succeed. We're always going to have a crack. Uh, one of our other values is, is called energize. Um, in that, you know, we we don't accept that. Uh, the media pulling us down or family pulling us down or suppliers pulling us down. Uh, we're always we're always energising each other. And another one of our values is called find the better way, which is another very franchise friendly value. In other words, franchising is always constantly looking to reinvent itself, is always constantly looking for, for the next best way to do business. So uh, you know, our other value is uh, people first always, which we might touch on later and do the right thing. But dare to succeed, find the better way and energise have all really added to our winning culture, our growth culture uh, along the way. You mentioned before, Brian, um, about awards. Small business can be a very, very lonely place, particularly if you're in it independently um, because nobody wants wants to uh, give a small business a pat on the back. Nobody wants to um, share their, their, their winning ways in small business. But in franchising, we do share best practice and winning ways. And I, I think some groups probably could do a bit more with their awards. Um, our gala, our annual gala conference, convention, um, we've had it every year since um, 1996. 
when we had about 15 people there. <laughs> uh, now we have about 400 people there. <laughs> it's in Port Douglas this year. But, um, yeah, our, our annual convention is, is very much a reignite with old friends, be re-energised by good industry speakers. But there's a, there's a black tie gala event where we um, recognise the best of the best in our business and we, we have a process by we automatically enter into the national franchise wards, our franchise partner of the year, um, our woman in franchising uh, and our regional manager. Uh, those three winners in our business automatically go into the, the national awards. And um, you know, last year we were very proud to say um, uh, the, the Grahams from here in Brisbane who own four stores won um, Australian multi-unit franchise of the year, you know, possibly the biggest and best franchisee in the country, which at the end of the day is, uh, is a sign that our system is working. So, I mean, you mentioned you started that process in 1996. I know you've always been a big fan of RICU. You mentioned about conferences and how they've been a cornerstone of your business. So I suppose what, what it comes down to, even as a small organisation with a handful of, uh, of franchises, you need to follow that model and, um, and run your conferences and enter the competitions and, and, and have the black tie dinner. It doesn't matter if you've got ten people there, I guess. It's, uh, it really is what you're saying is, I suppose, in a nutshell, it's the culture. Well, Brian, um, I, I agree with you too. And you, you need to start your franchise system the way you intend to end it, you know, where you want to be uh, when you mature. Uh, I remember that not only did we have that first convention, we had it in Coffs Harbour because I had three, well, I don't know, uh, half a dozen vans here and half a dozen vans in Sydney and all we could do was afford to drive to Coffs Harbour. Meet <laughs> me in the middle. Halfway. <laughs> <laughs> Down around your part of the world, but uh, um, where I was going with that is that uh, in other things like our, our our national advisory our national advisory council, you know, form that in our pretty in our second year, um, pretty much everybody was on it at that stage. Um, our awards, you know, we created those way back in in '96. So so many of the things that. Um, you want to do, you need to create them right from go get. Don't think you're too small uh, to do those sorts of things. You're not. Um, it, it creates, it solves a lot of problems later on too. Because when people come on board, they come on board just thinking, oh, that's just the way we do things around here. We we have awards, we have a convention, we have national advisory councils. It kind of uh, complements your values, your growth culture, your winning culture from day one. You know, it's. I said before one of our other values, in fact it's our number one value, it stands head and shoulders above our others, is called people first always. Um, it's, uh, in fact if there's no other value in our business that's it. And uh, I think that a lot of franchise systems um, might have very good systems and very good brands but they forget that it's it's the people you know we have nearly a thousand in our group now that that deliver the brand to the client um, every year still today um, I travel around uh, around all of Australia um, and most of it you know, just like went before last I drove from Brisbane to Port Douglas and uh, call on every one of our franchises and meet with uh, 75% of their staff as my KPI shake hands with them 
give them a presentation on where the business is at around the coffee table, in the staff room. And, and that's about not maintaining a growth culture in tough times with the franchise partners, but making sure that the 16-year-old shop assistant gets the same message. So it's, it's the message is coming from the top down and it's coming from the bottom up. That's brilliant. I, I respect that because I, I, over the years, I've seen so many groups start off with a huge amount of passion and energy and the people that join the group, I always say it's the franchisor, the, the person who founded it, who sells the franchise, who recruits the franchisee, because that's what people buy into. And they very quickly suddenly go from being someone who's fairly hands-on, they get the suit and tie on, they get on the speaking circuit, and they just lose contact with everybody. And you, you see huge wasted opportunities. I can think of six off the top of my head that 20 years ago were dominant in the franchise field that don't even exist barely today. And they struggled because they didn't have that. So how on earth do you manage to create the time as a, you know, the chairman, CEO of a significant size organisation, nearly a thousand people, how do you manage to create the time to be able to, to do that, John? Most people would give it away and say, well, we'll just catch up at conferences. But uh, what, what's, your, what's your answer there? Well, <clears throat> what franchising is at its, at its core, I suppose, is... Um, just creating best practice in small business. It's about creating systems. So the, the very first person I recruited in my business was a, a systems officer to uh, record best practice uh, and constantly refine best practice. Uh, we call a project odyssey in our business where we're, we're always looking for the one way, the one best journey, the one best way. Uh, and we still have that person today, uh, two people. Um, so it's about systems. Um, and it's, a, it's systems that create time in your business. So, you know, today um, in our business we have something called Contact Week where uh, most of our head office staff um, and regional managers make sure that they don't, don't have field time committed in Contact Week and that we're all here for our various meetings and catch-ups and refreshers and whatever during that week. But that leaves us the other three weeks of the month to focus on our franchise partners, on developing our business, on being in the field. Um, I think that's what's kind of helped me um, have the time to focus on our franchise partners. Um, you know, we have a very good system called um, Three Steps to the CEO, where um, if a franchise partner has got an issue in his business, he contacts the regional manager. If he's not happy with that process, he contacts the uh, chief corporate officer, the chief operating officer. If he's not happy with that, he contacts me. 24-7, email, phone, text, I don't mind. But it's a sign that our system is broken. So it gives us a chance to really fix the system quickly, to keep um, not creating uh, mountains out of molehills, fix the molehill quickly, and let's get on with growth. Um, there was an interesting comment, Brian, you made before about uh, passion and recruitment. Um, we're going through a really good phase in recruitment of franchisees at the moment, um, our best phase since pre-GFC. Um, I know a lot of franchisors are struggling at the moment, although I have heard in the last six months or so that there has been some, um, some better uh, inquiry. I just remember too that three of the major banks, um, ANZ, NAB um, and um, NOTCOM, uh, Westpac, 
all three of those major banks are all very active in franchisee lending at the moment. So, you know, banks are in the business of lending and they've got plenty of cash at the moment and not a lot of good options to lend it. So, you know, good, good franchise prospects are, are looking for good opportunities at the moment. But, you know, we reintroduced, um, six months ago a practice we used to use years ago where we now, um, fly every qualified lead, husband and wife, uh, into Brisbane. Um, it's just a qualified lead at our cost and they have a discovery day at our head office. They meet all the key, you know, staff around the business and they get presented to and they meet with me, uh, in my office. Uh, it, for, for an hour, hour and a half, two hours. And still today, I think that's a, a very good process to, to involve new prospective franchisees and to get them to share your vision and your passion for the brand. And that gets them off to a running start in terms of a growth attitude. Well, I, I, I respect that. I didn't realise you did that, but I think that's brilliant because it's going back to first principles. And as I mentioned earlier, it's the franchisor effectively that really inducts or in, encourages the franchisee, the prospective franchisee, to take that step. So I, I can appreciate that's how you sort of immerse them in your culture because they spent a the day there, met you and, and the, the crew at the support office. So what, what's your criteria for selecting a franchisee? Because let's say you get plenty of, you know, you plenty of interest. You're obviously, as you say, having the best time you've had for seven or eight years as far as recruitment is concerned. What, how do you make sure you get the right people that suit your culture and don't, introduce sort of lemons into the into the fruit salad that sort of spoil the thing. Well what what's really worked for us, Brian, and I'm surprised that to be honest that more franchisors haven't picked up on it and run with it. Um, you know, because we're very open about it. But we believe that one of the reasons we've continued to grow and to also be recognized in awards is that we have this career path in franchising where um, you know, we, we say to people, you, we have what's called a generation one, two, three and four franchisee and franchise opportunity. So you can join us as a man in a van, um, grow to a multi-van operation, open a retail store or what we call a retail hub, hub and spoke, and you can have a store and run the vans out of it. And now grow, grow to what we call generation four, where you have a hub that you run your whole operation out of and you have satellite stores around it. It's a business of about four stores, um, dozen vans turning over three, four, five million. We have two or three franchise partners doing that now, including the Grahams who just won the big award. But people can go the growth journey um, or they can join at any stage along the way. So that's allowed us to have a really big pool of franchise uh, prospects to choose from, from 25-year-olds who might have a, be able to scrape together enough funds, 100 grand to get into a man in a van, through to 55-year-olds who might be looking for a career change, who can come straight into a, a store, a multi-store operation for a million dollars. So we've got a big pool to choose from, but one of the key things we look for, Brian, in our recruitment process is that they all do a, a personality profiler. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- th- there's two, two or three things we really focus on. Number one is um, there's one of the vectors is about their achievement drive. So how much how how much do they burn to be successful? And and if that's low, we pass. 
If that's medium to high, we're fine. The other two we're interested in is their social skills. You can't be in business unless you're prepared to mix with staff and clients. Mm-hmm. And, and the other one is about leadership. You need to be able to lead your staff. So they're the three we look for. So if you get someone come along who's looking for a job, um, they may have the they may have the acumen, they may have the skills, but they don't have that necessarily that I suppose that that desire to grow. They don't have goals and ambition, even if they just want to drive, you know, be the man in the van. Well, how, how do you handle that? Well, we started off that way, Brian, and it. It, it held us up, to be honest, for years. Our early advertising was spent every day by the pool and get paid for it. So, you know, we created a man in a van, a buy a job mentality. And uh, that was a mistake. It attracted a lot of interest, but it attracted the wrong people. And it took us a long time to either train those people up or get them to sell out of the business. Um, if those people are... Pro- well, I suppose our, our marketing, our advertising today doesn't really attract those people, to be honest, Brian. And uh, and if by chance they do come along, unless they're prepared to go the career path, like if you join us as the man in a van today, uh, we have five by five by five year franchise agreements. Oh, okay. Um, the question you is... You actually is. need to have... Yeah. So, sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, have, we used to have... No, no, we used to have five plus five year agreements, but, you know, a couple of years back we took them out to 15. Um... Uh, just in recognition of the fact that people are making a bigger investment with stores. Mm. Um, but today, if you take on a, a territory without a store, you need to have opened a store. It's, it's what's called a, a development agreement. So in, in the schedule to our franchise agreement, we have a development process, and you need to have opened a store within two years of taking on a mobile business. That's a fairly short time frame, I would have thought, but uh, I suppose that's because you've recruited the right sort of people in the first place. Would that be right? Yeah, I think so, Brian. Um, Okay. All right. I'd like to answer the question there. (laughs) (laughs) Now, looking into this, because um, looking, you know, one of the key issues for any franchise group. Um, mature like yours, or particularly a younger group that's looking to grow, is recruiting their franchisees. How do you actually get out in the market and attract them? You know, in, in these tougher times when uh, people aren't, you know, without any doubt, people generally are a little bit nervous, a little bit apprehensive. They've all heard bad stories about people in their own businesses and all that sort of thing. Um, they don't often have a lot of encouragement from family and friends and accountants. How do you get out there and attract people? What is it that gets your your, um, your, your inbox full of inquiries. From the point of view, what's the focus of your marketing and advertising in these sorts of times? How do you, uh, how do you approach that to draw, the, um, uh, to draw the response? So just doing a sound check here, Brian. So you're, you're good with, uh, you can hear me fine? Absolutely. Yeah. So marketing in tough times is uh, kind of exciting. Um, we we find that uh, we've been able to negotiate uh, fantastic deals um, in prime time marketing spots, for example, um, on morning weather, um, on the various uh, breakfast shows, we sponsor the weather. Uh, th- these are opportunities that we would have never normally got um, 
in in normal times. Um, you know, we take uh, the, the front visor on one of the V8 supercars, uh, Coulthard. Um, uh, he's done very well this year. Um, we, we've been able to get ourselves into prime marketing spots that in a normal uh, economy or pre-GFC we would have never been able to afford, um, which is pretty uh, exciting for us uh, because so many people have pulled out of that marketing spot. Uh, what we've found though is that we've, we've probably got to be more accountable for our marketing dollars than we've ever been before. Uh, we've been working really smart in the electronic marketing. Um, I think marketing, particularly electronic marketing today, is allowing franchisors to be way more competitive in their marketing dollars than we ever have before. Uh, we do. We manage all of our franchise partners' uh, Facebook for them. We manage all of their individual websites, which are subsets of our, our websites. We put all the uh, data and uh, all of the advertising, all the content on there, but they can add their own, but we manage it for them. One of the other things is internet, um, particularly e-commerce, uh, where uh, we've now uh, decided to, rather than see e-commerce a threat, which most franchisors do to their business, we see it as a part of our marketing arm. So you know, we've created a, uh, a presence on e-com where you can buy off us at a, a not a super discounted price at all, but because of our bricks and mortar um, uh, spread across Australia, you can buy from us online, we will deliver it for free, we will install it for free, and if there's a problem, our vans and stores that are near you come and knock on our door. Uh, it's been very powerful for us. We decided a long time ago that um, one of our challenges as a franchisor was to stay ahead of the curve for our franchise partners, that's what they pay us to do, and keep looking for um, more points of profit for our franchisees, that's what we refer to it as. So we started as a domestic uh, service business, home service business. We became the best in the world at that. We created a uh, retail business. Um, we've opened a store every month for the last six years. We created a B2B commercial business, so we became a commercial service business. And more recently, we created our e-commerce. So we have four significant marketing opportunities and markets for our franchise partners to even out seasonality and to keep growing in and to keep excited in and to keep your franchisees so they don't get bored and to increase the lifespan of your franchisees. We're out to about eight years now. It's the average lifespan of our franchise partners. That's brilliant. So in other words, you're stretching them all the time so that they're, they're, I understand it's a great psychology, not letting them get stale and bored and just the same old, same old. It's here's something new, get on with it, here's how you do it, and here's the opportunity for you. This is the bottom line sort of thing. I, I, I love that. So in, in talking about that, moving a little bit further, I mean, you've got strategic relationships with suppliers, obviously. There's all the issues about landlords and those sorts of things. How do they implicate or how do they impact on you during these sorts of times compared with more buoyant pre, you know, sort of GFC type times? Well, this is where it gets pretty exciting, Brian. Um, with regard to our suppliers, or what we call them partners in profit, um, most of our suppliers have been with us for a long time and they're a critical part of our business. Um, McDonald's refers to it as a three-legged stool. 
what supports their brand are their franchise partners, their head office support network, and their suppliers. Uh, we take that same approach. In fact, um, uh, Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's, wrote, wrote, has written that magnificent book, Behind the Arch which was one of the early books I read and there's a whole chapter on how he got the suppliers to help him grow. But uh, yeah, we've found in these tough times that um, most of our suppliers, their non-franchise business or non-toolworks business has been going down and the only part of their business that's been going up are their sales to toolworks. So you know, they've actually become a more integral part of our business, they've given us a lot more love They've given us you know, a lot more training, a lot more convention support, um, much better um, deals, much better buying terms. Um, you know, for example, you know, with some of our suppliers, we've managed to get uh, complete consignment stock in our stores, which has saved our franchise partners about $20,000 in floor stock straight up, which is released cash. Um, but one of the other interesting things is uh, in these um, high Australian dollar better buying times uh, is that we've been able to negotiate every year better and better buying for our franchise partners. At the same time, we haven't been discounting our retail price, so our gross profits have been increasing for our franchise partners. We have four major KPIs in our business that we um, promote to our franchise partners at every convention and then the next year we report on how we how well we did. Our number one KPI above all others is average franchisee profit or EBITDA as we call it. Um, this year we've got average franchisee EBITDA to 22.5% and that's largely because of what I just talked about just then. We talked about landlords and rents a moment ago, I heard you say, Brian, um, um, it's a fantastic time for franchisors to be uh, proactively negotiating better terms and better rents um, out of landlords uh, for the franchise partners. Whether you take head leases or whether the franchise partner does, you should be very much involved, integral on the front foot with the process. Um, we've actually taken on now a, a professional um, leasing company to uh, help and support our franchise partners at rent renewal time or at first rent in uh, um, getting much better deals. I've never seen landlords so flexible. Great time to take the opportunity. Yeah, so the other thing is I guess you, you have an average lifespan of your franchisees or they're in your, in, in your community as, as it were for eight years. So what's the impact on support and so forth? I, I would imagine the longer they're there, the less requirement there is. So do you find that the amount of staff and time and the hours you have to, to commit to training and support, is, does that, is there an impact there anywhere? Does it, does it reduce, increase? What's the picture? Uh, I wish it would. <laughs> 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 no, look, I, I find, if anything, um, the, the number of support staff to French partners doesn't increase, um, but the the type of support they need changes over time. Uh, as they become more sophisticated and more mature in their business, they need different types of support. They very much need business coaching. Um, uh, they need mentoring. They need um, business planning support. They need profit and loss reporting and reviewing. Um, 
uh, cash flow assistance, uh, technology assistance. So you know, we've taken the opportunity in these tougher times. Uh, in fact, we started a process two years ago, three years ago, where we one of our four major KPIs is franchisee satisfaction, satisfaction with the support they get. So we have an external third party uh, ranks our um, our franchisee satisfaction, uh, and our, you know, thankfully our, our satisfaction score has gone up for the last three years. It's a there's nowhere to hide on that one. That's in other words, how happy they are with the fees they're paying and the support they're getting. So the score we got a few years back was not good. So we uh, went and spoke to our uh, representative councils and uh, we found out that our, our group had kind of matured past the, the cap capability of our support staff. So you know it was hard, but over the last uh, two years we've swapped out 60% um, of our uh, field and head office staff um, uh, are no longer with us. Some of them have gone and taken franchises, uh, but we replaced them with, uh, uh, in some cases, younger, in other cases, more experienced, more qualified, and and from other franchise brands. Uh, we've very, very much grown our own people up to that, but we've gone out and kind of recruited people with experience from other respected brands, and that brings in a lot of experience uh, into your business. And uh, but we found that we've been able to lift the support that our franchise partners were looking at, and uh, and therefore being there, uh, being there for them when they were ready to take the next step, and be able to encourage them to growth. The, there was an interesting point in there about business coaching, where we moved out our um, our we have ten people in the field across Australia, and we've um, slowly but surely. Uh, change them up from being pool works technical experience focused people to being experienced franchise coaches, business coaches. And we have this process in terms of growing where we sit down with each franchise partner and we do an exercise and review it each year with what your business, we know what the business is going to be at maturity and we know what the um, uh, the milestones are along the way when they need to open their second store, put on their third van, put on the service manager, take out an extra overdraft, whatever it might be. So we're constantly looking with our franchisees at what your business looks like when it's done, and and how are we going in terms of getting there. Excellent. Tell me, and something I've, I've always believed. I was taught this when I was in my early teens when I was retailing in London, and. Um, <laughs> Uh, for a young entrepreneurial retailer, and he had a few outlets that weren't franchised, but the principle was the same. But he always said, you know, when things get tough, people stop spending money on advertising. That's the first thing they cut in their budget. And that was when he started getting aggressive, because that's when the opportunities were out there. What's your view with regards to cutting costs and expenses when it comes to, you know, tougher times? And how do you, how do you manage to grow in those circumstances? What's, what's around that? <laughs> yeah, look, um, it's amazing, isn't it, that um, you can see franchise brands that have uh, cut costs. I don't get it. Um, if, if you sign up for this thing called franchising, then by nature you're an entrepreneur um, and you've got to use an, uh, lead an entrepreneurial business. And if you lead an entrepreneurial business, um, you don't have a choice to cut costs, you don't have a choice to consolidate, you don't have a choice to be stagnant. Uh, there's only one way to go in franchising, and that's that you've constantly got to grow your business. So uh, uh, the last thing you can do is cut costs. You, you've just got to make sure that you're spending your money for growth. 
Um, uh, my advice is um, I've seen, I bet you have too, Brian, I know you have. Um, I've seen many a good franchise system that, in fact, it nearly ha happened to us um, when we were only about five years old. Um, you can get stuck in creating systems, which are so important. You can get stuck in bureaucracy. And, and my view is that bureaucracy is the death knell of franchising. It's what keeps us lean and lack of it is what keeps us lean and mean and fast and close to the client. It's the, the difference between us and big business. So um, don't cut costs. Just make sure you're spending your money wisely on growth is my advice. Right. Don't over-bureaucratise. So essentially, if I could use this, <laughs> you, you like to franchise simply. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what a good name. <laughs> um, all right. So we've heard of... of, of some really interesting information there with regards to recruitment, the strategy you use, but also it's the whole, um, I suppose the whole culture and so forth, the whole aspect of, of energising. I love the dare to succeed. You know, that's sort of something out of Dam Busters or somewhere from the Second World War, is get out there and do it. So the, the fact is they don't get a chance to, to really get in the doldrums and, and think about and listen to the people's sort of negative opinions. You're saying right the way through it up. So these changes, that's significant, changing 60% of your support staff and your support office through into the more professional business coaching and into the, into the, the sort of numerical side of things with profit and loss and so forth. So you're really managing their issues. So, so you see a couple of red lights flashing where there's one of your, let's say one of your, um, uh, uh, one of your outlets, one of your hubs. It's perhaps not quite reaching the KPIs. What's, what's your reaction to that? So how do you mobilise them and, um, and help them overcome it? Well, um, it almost seems like a set-up question, that. I love it. Oh. <laughs> uh, Brian, we... <laughs> uh, it's not, though, I, I know. Um, but we have this very innovative thing, Brian, called ICU, and it is what it is, intensive care unit. So... Uh, we created this a number of years ago where we found out that uh, one of the worst surprises we ever get in the business is where we find out that a franchisee is in trouble, um, either personally or in his business or cash flow, more often than not cash flow, which is a result of other things happening. And we're always playing catch-up. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a reactive, not a proactive thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, ICU is where once a month the three senior executives, including me uh, and our two legal team, meet. And prior to that, they take all the um, indicators in the business, um, people who aren't performing the sales, aren't paying their bills, aren't paying suppliers, have client complaints, aren't following the local area marketing, whatever our indicators are in our business, which every franchise has them. And uh, once we see in a matrix that a franchise partner um, is, is uh, appearing on the radar in a whole bunch of those, we create a report card for them in what we call ICU. Uh, we used to have, when we first started it, about 10% of our group in there, but we only have, we have less than 5% at any one time now. And it really allows us, we phone the regional managers into the meeting, and it really allows us to focus, uh, proactively identify the franchise partner early who's underperforming, um, and use our combined experience to set a, a recovery process in place. So it gets people back on track and back onto growth pretty quickly in most cases. John, that, that's fantastic. You've given us enormous value. I think anyone listening 
um, whether live or recorded, is going to pick up so many points as there, particularly as they're, they're very fortunate. Anyone, anyone listening to this at whatever stage you are, if you're in the early stage of developing or planning your franchise group, um, they've certainly got a, a wealth of information to lay down your path forward and uh, the whole strategy from the point of view of recruitment through the support and your attitude towards things like suppliers, learning the amount of uh, improvement they've managed to yield every year from those sorts of processes. So um, I don't really have anything else to add. We could talk for hours, John, but that's not fair on you, and I don't expect people to listen for too long. So I'd, I'd like to um, just wrap up there, unless you've got anything cl closing you'd like to add. No, Brian, I, it, it, thanks for the opportunity. I, I just I don't think there's ever been a better time to be in franchising. This is when we shine, when uh, when our competitors that are non-franchised uh, are uh, contemplating their navels and uh, cutting costs and looking gloomy. So, um, you know, for any of your team uh, out there that are, uh, are younger franchisors or medium franchisors, um, you know, don't don't buy into the the negativity. Uh, stay true to the mindset. Of, right. uh, of success and growth and uh, the rest follows. I appreciate it. I just rolled through to my closing slide, which was a quote of John's that I picked up in talking to him earlier, that uh, franchise always become luckier and luckier the more research they do and the harder they work. Familiar story there. And, and I love the fact that it really encourages me and validates the attitude that I certainly have and that other successful people across franchising, which has never been a better time, but you have to take the courage to leap. Um, so best of luck to everyone listening. Thank you very much. And to John especially, really appreciate your time. Um, thanks, everyone. We'll be in touch again. And um, good fun and success in franchising. And enjoy the rest of your day or evening.